As most of you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark in a, our preaching series at the moment. And because we don't preach from every scripture in the Gospel, um, what we've been doing before um, I actually preach my message is to get people up to actually read the whole section of Mark that I'm referring to this morning so that we all get a picture of actually the whole gospel. So I'm going to invite David and Liz if they'll come up and they're going to actually read that section for us. This is one of my favourite uh, passages, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. I love food. <clears throat> Mark six thirty to 44. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognised them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. Wow, wish I could do that. <laughs> Jesus walks on water. Mark 40, uh, 6, 45 to uh, 56. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. 
Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Genesaret. (laughs) That'll do. Uh, They brought the boat to the shore and climbed out. The people recognised Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. Thank you. Listen, David. So there's a fair bit going on there. <coughs> last week, last week was quieter, that's good. Last week we saw how the gospel uh, digressed somewhat here and we heard the story of John the Baptist. And it was a stark reminder uh, amidst all these miracles of our human frailty and how easy it is to be distracted and blown off course uh, by the law of worldly things and how to, much to our horror we discovered that we don't actually have to be evil to actually get out from God's will or to do things that are opposed to God we just have to be double minded and you know, most of us find it fairly easy not to be evil <coughs> am I the only one? Uh, but being double minded is something that happens to us every day we're called to make decisions we struggle with them sometimes we sort of can't make a decision and so we think well surely that's normal and yes, it is, but it's something that it, it, the Bible actually tells us. A double-minded person won't get anything from God. And so that was a bit depressing. But this week, here we go. We're back into it again. We are here with two miraculous accounts. Mark's back into form again. He's talking about how wonderful Jesus is. And these, these two situations are actually linked. You sort of think, well, how can they be linked? One's feeding 5,000, one's walking on water. They don't seem to mesh. But... Mark is, Mark's business here is to, to remind us of the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he, he's continuing full tilt ahead. He, I mean, you can almost see him getting excited about writing this. It's like, okay, wait till they hear about this. Jesus feeds 5,000 men and their families with five loaves of bread and two fish. Beat that. Oh, okay, you want me to beat? Jesus walks on water. And let me tell you, this isn't a swimming pool. It's a, a rough sea. He says, see, how much more do you need to see before you understand Jesus is Lord? And so he's got excited about this. So they're linked chronologically. One happens after the other. And they're linked in this overriding theme that Mark has of, don't you get the picture? Jesus is the Son of God. How much more proof do I have to parade before you before you'll actually get the picture? And of course, we're a bit excused because if you look at the story, the disciples are possibly even thicker than we are because they're not getting it. And so there's, a, there's another theme that actually runs through both of these that Jesus is actually trying to get through to his disciples. And this is a deeper theme that actually links them together because he's actually trying to get the disciples to understand a different question. And $5 to the first person who can tell me what that question is. Too late. (laughs) The question is, what do we do with the presence of God? 
You might think, well, how, how is he asking that question? If you look at it, we can see the disciples are still having trouble with the fact that Jesus is God. And so they don't know what to do in his presence. And, and we face, I mean, we have, we have the Holy Spirit, so it's slightly different for us. But we ask the same questions. Does the presence of God mean he has to do something? <coughs> More importantly, does it mean he has to do something for us? And, and okay, what's God's responsibility when he's present? I mean, is he allowed to just hang around or has he got duties? And the disciples don't know the answer to these questions and all too often we don't know the answer to these questions. And Jesus addresses these in these two miracles very strongly. And let's look at the first one. Feeding the 5,000. Awesome miracle. But let's read Mark 6.35. It says, Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. So the disciples come to Jesus and they tell him what to do. Jesus, this is a lonely place, lots of fun. Just get rid of them. You know, you're the Lord, send them away. You can do it. And Jesus looks around and he says, you feed them. You sort of think, what? That, is that an unreasonable request or what? But Jesus stood there. He said, you feed them. He didn't say, wait, I'm about to do a miracle. Just look at me. I'm Jesus. Don't forget, son of God. Just watch this. I am going to do this. He said, you feed them. Now, that's not a miraculous event to me. That's, that's sort of like gulp. But they came to him with a problem and he told them, fix it. <coughs> if we read on, Mark 37 to 38, with what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money. Notice that they don't address the problem. They talk about what they would have to do. They look into the future and say, well, we're not capable of doing things. We don't have the money for that. We, we don't have the capability of that. We're not caterers. This isn't Pig on a Spit Incorporated. How are we going to feed these people? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He says, how much bread do you have? And then he says, go and find out. <coughs> and they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Notice that when they express their inability, who feels unable sometimes, disabled yeah. sometimes? Jesus didn't say, well, poor you. He said, what do you have? Never mind what you don't have. What do you have? And the trouble is that just like them, when we look at what we have, it's not enough. Anybody been there? Whenever Jesus asks what you have because he wants you to do something, I can guarantee you, you will not have enough. Otherwise, you can do it without Jesus asking. So... Their objection related to what they thought they could do. Jesus' answer related to actually what they had in their hands. And the interesting thing is he made them go out and get the facts. He didn't say, what have you got? A couple of loaves, some fish. He said, go and do an inventory. Find out exactly what you have. Get the facts. Think of yourself soberly. Romans 12.3 says, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. See, the disciples weren't using faith. They just were using complaints. 
Who's ever had a miracle of complaint? They don't exist. Whereas Jesus said, no, come on. You've got the Son of God with you. Think of yourself no highly or no less than you are. Tell me exactly who you are, what you've got, and what your situation is. Don't beat around the bush. Don't try and con me. I'm the Son of God, remember? And so he, he approached the problem that they had very differently. Then because he was actually teaching them a principle, he divided up the loaves and fish and fed the people. Let's look at the second miracle, walking on water. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So about three o'clock in the morning, and of course, as we do, we wander around at three o'clock in the morning looking. There's a boat out there. seems to be in trouble. And so Jesus came towards them at three o'clock in the water in the morning, walking on the water. This is the bit I love. He intended to go past them. He was just going to walk on by. G'day, guys. How's it going? Row harder. He's all like, what? He was just going to keep walking. Mind you, based on their reactions, I'd have kept walking too. You see, Jesus and go, ah, it's a ghost. I mean, Jesus wasn't dead. I mean, what made them think? That he was a ghost. And so they're looking at Jesus coming towards him, them, and they're terrified. You still think, well, how's God going to do anything if you are, he approaches you and you're terrified? Hello, God, love you, praise you, worship you, don't come any closer. It's hardly a, a faith-inducing experience, is it? And so what does he do? He, he sees that they're terrified. And it says, Jesus spoke to them at once. He said, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. I mean, if I was walking on the water and I stepped into your boat, you'd be amazed. <laughs> but if God was walking on the water and stepped in your boat, you'd sort of think, well, he's God, he can do that. But I'm Chris and I can't do that. If I climbed into your boat, it would be with a lot of spluttering and coughing up seawater and... I wouldn't be much good. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I'm here. It's all right. I'm with you. I'm okay. Don't be afraid. It doesn't have the same ring to it. But it's the next line where Mark ties these two incidents together. For Mark, 6.52 says, For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So here, Jesus walks into the boat and Mark says, see, they didn't understand the previous miracle. And you sort of think, well, where did he get that from? But what's happening is that Jesus was trying to teach them the same thing by feeding the 5,000 as he was by walking past them on the water. He's trying to get a principle into their hearts and into their minds. In the first scenario, when asked to send the people away, what does he say? You feed them. In the second situation, he ignores their struggle as though it was insignificant. He intended to go past them. He was just walking on by. I think the key is in that little phrase that Jesus uttered that he climbs into the boat. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. He didn't say, I am here to save you. I am here to feed you. 
I am here to heal you. I am here to preach the word to you. I am here to teach you something. He just said, I am here. Sometimes that's enough. In fact, most times that's enough. It is actually sufficient for God to be with us. He doesn't actually have to do anything. He doesn't even have a responsibility to do anything. Our response, if you like, our responsibility should be, Jesus is here. What could go wrong? Jesus is here. I can do whatever I need to do. Doesn't Philippians 4.12 tell us that? Paul talks to us. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or everything. You know which you'd prefer. But he says, but I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it be with a full stomach or an empty stomach. Sorry, David. With plenty or little. And this is the bit we all know. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You see, we expect God to do stuff to get us out of difficulty, to do stuff to smooth the path before us. But Jesus is showing us in these two miracles, and he's showing the disciples as well, that he's not here to do stuff. He's here to be with us. His presence is enough. You see, it says, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. It doesn't say God can do anything through Christ because it gives him strength. I think God's probably got all the strength he needs. I know I don't. And so there's, a, there's a, a, a shift in emphasis here. The disciples are hanging around God and they actually expect him to do everything. I mean, this is on top of the fact that these two miracles are strapped. They've gone out on a missions trip and cast, casting out demons and, and getting people saved. Was Jesus with them? No, he stayed behind. He sent them out. Jesus wasn't with them, but what was? The power of Jesus was with them. And so, if you look at it in that context, the fact that he says, you feed them, wasn't outrageous at all. He just sent them out and said, cast out devils in my name. What's harder? Feeding people or casting out devils? Well, with God, it doesn't really make a difference. So they were quite happy to accept that they could go out without Jesus and cast out demons. But when he says feed people, when he's right, standing right next to them, they look at him like, yeah? Come on, be real. Are we, how are we going to do that? And so he's trying to teach them. It's not, it's not about me doing stuff for you. It's me doing stuff through you. And that's where we often get mixed up. The response, when he said, you feed them, the response he was looking for was something like this. Okay, if Jesus says we can feed them, let's do it. What have we got? Five loaves, two fish. Great. Okay, now let's take that to God and see what he can do with it. See, we've got a part to play. We know that we can't multiply five loaves and two fish to that degree, but if we get what we have and we bring it to God and we start working with it, guess what? God does his bit but we've got to do our bit. When he was walking on by, the response he was hoping for was for the disciples to look up from their rowing and say, oh, look, it's Jesus. Oh, things are going all right. Put your backs into it, lads. We're safe. Come on, keep rowing. Because Jesus was there. When Jesus, I mean, there was that other situation when he was in the boat asleep and there was a storm and they woke him up because they were afraid. 
mean, my thought was, if you've got, you're in a boat with Jesus in it, is the boat going to sink? No. Jesus wasn't into <laughs> drowning himself. So no matter how rough the seas get, you sort of think, well, didn't they sort of get it? Jesus is sitting in the boat, so whatever happens, we're not sinking. That would have given them confidence, but it didn't. So it's actually a question of how we handle the presence of God. And he's trying... Throughout the eight, Mark, Jesus, the gospel is trying to teach us that we actually need to make sure that we are not looking for God to do things in our lives above the fact that we are looking for God just to be in our lives. The presence of God is something that we should strive for, not so that, oh, the presence is here, let's do miracles. The presence of God's here, let's heal people. It's the presence of God is here. We can do anything. God has empowered us to do what is beyond our normal capabilities. Let's rest in that. Let's not say, well, God's here, let him do it. God is here, we can do it. God is here, we are enabled. You see, Vicky and I took over this church 19 years ago. And the only reason that we took it on was because we had a very clear directive from God through prophecy, which was um, confirmed by other people, <coughs> through a set of circumstances which clearly led us to do something. We didn't want to. It wasn't, it wasn't next on my um, career list. You know, pastor a church, yep, phew, done that one. It's not, not a bucket list. We weren't equipped. I had a degree, but not in theology. We'd had experience with people, but not particularly in church. But... We weren't equipped, we weren't prepared, but basically we heard God say, you feed them. And so we did. We, did, we fed people with what we had. Now looking back on it, I pity those people. <laughs> and if you're still here, well done. <laughs> because we just did everything we could and we gave it to God. And some of it, what we could do was very little. God had to do a lot. Sometimes we were confident most of the time we were terrified. But what got us through was the faith that we could do anything through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. He gave us his strength to work with. The interesting thing is in that, in that 19 years, we have not received any further instruction from God regarding the church. Now you might think, well, that must be depressing. So he just left you there, did he? Yes. He left us because he knew that we had the faith to say, we can do anything in Christ our Lord who strengthens us. And we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep feeding God's people until he tells us to stop. The reason he hasn't given us any other commands is that there isn't, we're doing what he wants. The only other prophecy we've got <coughs> is for a house, which we're still waiting on. But that'll come because we can do all things through Jesus Christ. The miracles in this passage of scripture are fabulous. They make great stories. There are great examples we can take out of them. But the underlying message, the thing that ties the two together, the thing that Jesus really wants us to get, is not that he's fabulous. We know that. It's not that he's all-powerful. It's not that he can walk on water. It's a neat trick, but you know, it's not the point. The point is that the power of God is available to us because of his presence. 
He doesn't ever go away. Sometimes we think he does, but we've gone away. Not Jesus. And so when we lose strength, it's because of our lack of awareness of the presence of God. It's not because he said, well, sorry, Bill, don't like you anymore. I'm leaving. It's because we've said, okay, for some reason we're not, we don't feel close to God. And we lose strength because we're not relying on the strength of God. You have the strength to do whatever God has called you to do in this life. Through Jesus Christ. No buts, no ifs. No depending on the circumstances. You know, when we, when we say things like, well, I could do it, but under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? We were created to be overcomers, not undercomers, if there is such a word. Underachievers. We are unable to do what we need to do on our own. The, the catch cry of this society is the fact that we are too stressed, too busy, too overwhelmed with life to do things for God. And guess what? If you look at past cultures, if, we, if you look back two or three hundred years, where they had, well, they had life easy back then. There were no mobile phones to, to get in their way. You know, cities weren't as crowded. Life was idyllic. <coughs> they had other things to bother them. I love that quote that um, I read out some years ago, probably now, about <coughs> the youth of today are disrespectful, don't obey their elders, they're uncontrollable, their behaviour on the streets is abominable, and they need a good thrashing. You sort of think, well, who wrote that? It was some Greek guy 5,500 years ago. You sort of think, well, things haven't changed a lot. The only thing that's changed is not our, not our capabilities, not our world. It's our attitude towards the, the presence of God. We need to actually change how we see God. He's not there to do stuff for us because we're too busy. He's here to empower us because we can do it through the busyness, through the stress, through the hard times, through the things that get in our way because he is here with us. Can I get Jordan to come up? I want to pray for some people this morning. Can I ask Jasmine if she's here? Chris? Chris Young? Yep. Stephen? Stephen here? No? Yes? Echo? Come on, uh, Richard, Richard uh, Comar, has he turned up yet? No, never mind, he misses out. Mitch, come on. Now I want to assure you before you, you look, well, I haven't dragged these people out here because there's something wrong with them. But I was praying during, during the week and I really felt that so, sometimes we need, we need to know for sure. Sometimes we need to be told. Sometimes we need assurance that the strength of God is there for us to use. Because we feel weak, incapable, unable to do things in our own strength. And we feel that that makes us a lesser person, that we can't do what other people do. And so I'm here this morning to, say, to tell you that that's not how God 
sees you at all. God sees you as people of purpose and of importance in his life. And I believe he wants to actually impart that strength in you today. He wants to let you know, Chris, that you are stronger on the inside than you appear on the outside. He wants to let you know that he has filled you with his spirit and that your plans and purposes are not insignificant. He sees your heart for his spirit. He sees the heart you have to spread the gospel to other people. He sees the excitement in your spirit about the presence of God in your life. And he says, it's not your strength, it's mine that rests in you. And if you use my strength, you will do miracles that you cannot understand. You will change people beyond your capabilities. And you will be amazed at what God does through you. Because you are prepared to say, I will do what you ask, even though I cannot see how I do it. loves what's inside you Jasper but sometimes you're ashamed of what's inside you because you don't think it's enough you see that you think other people have more of it you see that other people do things differently and sometimes you think I can't I can't live up up to that that's not how I work that's I there must be something wrong with me and God says there is absolutely nothing wrong with you I have built you the way I intended to build you what is inside of you is powerful You need to wake it up. You need to be sure in the fact that God has put gifts inside of you. And those gifts need to come out. You are bold and confident. You have something that God wants you to share with other people. He has placed his spirit inside of you for it to be released. You're not a shrinking violet. Your opinions matter. What you think how you see God might be different from other people but he said some people need to hear your perspective so that they can understand God do not be afraid to speak to people about your faith, your fears or your doubts what comes out of your mouth is ordained by Almighty God if you pray and you speak his words will come out the impact you have on people is beyond your understanding two cogs that mesh together slightly different sizes but you mesh together perfectly it's in that connection that you have together that is important to how you operate you each have your own skills you each have your own personalities you each have your own interaction with God but the power of what you do and I believe this is a word for all married couples all people who are in that sort of relationship we, we all come into relationship together with skills of our own, with a purpose of our own. And there's power in that purpose. That's not to, to say that when we come together as, as a couple, that our individual um, skills, desires, whatever, are reduced. But if we work together, if we can mesh together the way God wants us to, we actually multiply what we've got. And I believe that that's, that's what God has planned for you guys. You are going to be a pair that works together. You're going to do different things, but it's all come together, going to come together and mesh. And so 
you need to work together, you need to do things together. Not necessarily everything. You can come and play golf without Echo, that's fine. But spiritually speaking, you are more powerful together than you are separately. Lord, I thank you that you bless this couple. Thank you, Lord, that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. May their individual gifts join together and become more than their parts. Amen. Mitch, God loves you. But God doesn't just love you in that sort of wishy-washy, you're a nice guy. He loves you in the sense that he has a purpose for you that he actually sees a potential inside of you that is growing as we speak. You may not know exactly what it is, but you have something in your heart that you want to do, That something that you have thought, well, yeah, I could, but I can't. I don't have the skills. I don't have the resources. God says, take what you have and do it. I will provide the rest. Step out of the boat. Do something with the faith that you have, and I will multiply it to make your dreams come true. Richard Comar still hasn't snuck in the back. Uh, thank you, guys. You may be seated. Before I conclude, can I get you just to bow your heads, close your eyes? <coughs> If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've, like Mark said, you know, how much, how much proof do you need that Jesus was the Son of God? We've talked about the miracles. We've talked about the power that he showed. And we've talked about how his desire is for his will to be outworked with his strength, but through us on this earth. If you've never accepted him, as your Lord and your Saviour. He cannot do what He needs to do through you. And we say we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He strengthens us because we have said, Yes, Lord, we accept that you are our Lord, that you have died to save me. You have given me eternal life through your death and resurrection on the cross. If you have never done that, if you've never thought that way, if you've never declared that that's how you want to live your life. I want to give you that opportunity this morning to pray with me a, a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I accept you into my life. I take you as my Lord and my Savior and I will follow you the rest of my days. It's the start of your walk with Jesus Christ. If you have never done that, or perhaps if you've done it before but you know that your work, walk certainly hasn't been the right one, can reaffirm that this morning and I'd love to pray with you so if that's you while every head's bowed every eye closed could you just raise your hand high so that I can see it and I'd love to pray that prayer with you this morning to invite Jesus into your heart is there anyone here who would like to do that thank you Lord I pray that every person here today is blessed by your presence, is strengthened by your Holy Spirit in their lives. And Lord, we thank you that that is sufficient.
needed no more. Your job was done on the cross. We thank you that the resurrection means that you are always with us. In Jesus' name.